0: in the second episode this October we're at the Rebecca Nurse Homestead in Danvers, Massachusetts the former home of Rebecca Nurse still stands in its original location at 71 she was accused of being a witch she was taken from this house and never came back to this property alive Rebecca's family continued living in the home for nearly 100 years and they fought to have her name cleared Welcome to Someone Lived Here, a podcast about the places people called home. I'm your host, Kendra Gatelord. We're standing outside this red house, surrounded by big fields in every direction. And even though it feels like we're in the middle of nowhere, we're about a minute drive from the Liberty Tree Mall. When Rebecca Nurse and her husband started their lease here, it was a small, two-story rectangular house, over the centuries, sections were added onto the home. Now it's a salt box with that long, sloping back roof. We're going to head inside and talk with Katherine Rakowski. She's the president and curator here at the Rebecca Nurse Homestead.
1: We're currently sitting in the Great Hall. It's one of the original rooms of the house. It was their everything room, it was their kitchen, it was their dining room, it was even when they slept in the winter months. So it was basically the family room. It's a pretty large square-shaped room. We have a large uh, fireplace that you could fit a bunch of people in there size-wise.
0: We're not going to put any people in there, but it's true. It could fit like over five people.
1: And it was built large that way so that you could have multiple little fires going and you could cook multiple things at the same time. There's also two holes in the back that are for baking. So you'd actually keep a fire going in there for a portion of the day. When the bricks got really hot, you'd pull out all of the wood, put whatever you're cooking in, and then cover it up with the wooden planks like you see here. There's also a large court cupboard in the back corner which is actually from the 17th century, but the court cupboard was actually donated to us by a man who was a furniture maker and had an original 17th century piece, and his wife did not want it in the house anymore. And so she said, get rid of it, find a way, and he contacted us, and we took it. So it's a really neat piece because it dates to the time period, and it's also like your kitchen cabinets. It was where you kept everything so that you didn't have to have it out uh, for public view. It's a little dark in here now, but you can see the carvings are really ornate. Um, if you ever go to museums and you see court covers, they usually have like cherubs and all sorts of inlay. This is more modest for, you know, an everyday family, but it is still uniquely carved as well.
0: Catherine mentioned it being a little dark in here, and that is very true. The only light in this house is coming from the windows, and some of those panes have a purple tint. That just adds to the grimness of the next part of the story.
1: So Rebecca Nurse was 71 at the time of her accusation. Um, She was bedridden at the time, very likely sleeping in this room. uh, As a 72-year-old woman that probably had a hard time walking, and also it would have been warmer down here because this is the room where the fire was going most of the time, but she was a very pious woman. She was very well-liked, went to church all the time. Her husband had been the constable of Salem Town when they lived here, and they moved out here really because they got this opportunity to lease this chunk of property. A lot of people misconstrued that they owned it because they saw them moving out to this big property, but they actually put a 20-year lease on this land, and it was either 20 years or when they paid 200 pounds, they could own it. And Rebecca and Francis never lived it out, so their son ended up purchasing it, but they were moderate, you know, middle middle-of-the-road family. I want to get into more of Rebecca's life and the Salem Witch Trials as a
0: whole. But first, I'm interested in why it's so dark in here. This house was lived in until 1908, and I can't imagine everyone was just bumping into things that whole time. It turns out this house was modernized a lot, and then it was stripped back even more.
1: The family that was living here in the 1900s realized that over the years, more and more of the pieces of the property were getting sold and, and sort of the original 300 acres was becoming less and less and they were down to about 28 acres. And they wanted to find a way to preserve it because they thought it's a really historic home and we need to save it. And so there was a group of people that purchased the house in the 1900s purposely to restore it. So they took it down to the bones, to the basic uh, joists and posts and beam and started afresh. They hired Joseph Everett Chandler, who also did the House of Seven Gables and the Paul Revere House.
0: You might remember him working closely with Caroline Emerton to bring back those missing gables. And he worked on
1: these two homes, the House of the Seven Gables and the Rebecca Nurse Homestead at the same time. And his job was to bring it back to the 1600s. And he chose an earlier time period, probably going with the same notion that the house was not the nurse house. Originally, it belonged to Townsend Bishop. So there's wood paneling on the walls that would not have been original to the nurse family time. Later on in the 1670s and through the 1690s, they whitewashed the walls with a plaster, and horsehair plaster. So the walls in here are a little bit darker because they're all dark wood, which is really fancy and far too fancy for the nurses. There was actually a ceiling at one point, which is not authentic to the time period. So they pulled that down and you can see where the nails were that they had uh, laughing and plaster over that as well. So they did quite a bit. They even changed the windows. So some of the original pictures of the house from the 1900s have double hung windows, which are more modern type that lift up. These are more rectangular shaped and the windows fold out like shutters. Most of what you're looking at was done in the 1900s. The chimney and the fireplaces were all reworked because they had been reduced in size because you did not need large fireplaces in the 1900s. It was a waste um, because they weren't heating the houses this way. There were radiators in the building as well. So all of that had to be gutted and pulled. Electricity was pulled. (laughs) So they had little like gas electricity wiring in here as well. So for authenticity's sake,
0: the lights and the heating are gone. And that means if you come for a tour, be sure to get here before 3pm. Now we're going to go look at the other room upstairs. It's a little dark,
1: so just watch your step. Likely, they did not have a staircase back then. It was probably a loft ladder. Um, So, again, really difficult to get up here. But this is pretty much what a bedroom would have looked like in the 1600s. Very bare beds, only the necessities. They didn't have tons of clothes, so there wasn't really large wardrobes. A couple chests to keep things in. Cradles if you had babies. Um, But practicality-wise... Having a bedroom just meant it was one more room to heat. So if you if it was a summer month, sure, have people sleep upstairs. Everyone shared the same room. But in the winter months, downstairs, because that's where the fire is going. And again, it made sense um, for Rebecca likely to be downstairs, just given her age. She was probably in a bed similar to this one. It's a press bed, and it's pushed up against the wall because they wanted to be able to have room to walk around. And then it was pulled down from nighttime, kind of like an old-fashioned futon. But would it be as lumpy as a futon? Almost certainly. I mentioned there were purple
0: panes of glass downstairs, and there's more up here. The windows were put in during the 1909 restoration, and Joseph Chandler wanted the glass to have an older look.
1: And you will see like the impurities in the glass. So when he was making these windows in the 1900s, he wanted mouth-blown glass. So they are mouth-blown pieces, so you can see the little impurities where... It was blown poorly or there was a bubble. And you will notice, especially on these windows, the purple. So when they, when they are exposed to UV light for long periods of time, the different elements in the glass will bring out different colors. You'll see greens and purples. If there's too much manganese in the glass, it turns purple with the UV. And when they were redoing the windows and they took the lead strapping off, they actually showed us it's still clear behind the lead. And so that it has changed over time and will continue to change as the UV continues to to go through the windows.
0: We're now going to head outside and talk a little bit more about Rebecca Nurse and her life before 1692. On. Rebecca Town was born in England. She had three sisters and three brothers. Her family moved to Salem when she was in her early teens, and at 23, she married Francis Nurse. He was a woodware maker, making wooden bowls and trenches. The two lived in Salem Town and had eight children. In their late 50s, they started leasing this house in Salem Village. And their new rural life came with a few more conflicts.
1: Their property was full of trees. Most of his job was cutting down trees and making them into things. So that was their like cash crop. Um, Some families would have these fields filled with rye or wheat, but the nurses mostly had trees. And there was a dispute that happened with the nurses about the trees. Because Francis's sons were going out to chop wood, and there was a land dispute with the Endicotts. So the Endicotts originally owned this property. There was 300 acres here, and when the governor Governor Endicott came in, he was given 600, including this 300. He gave it to his son. His son passed away, and his wife basically gave it to her new husband. Her new husband's the one that leased it to the nurses. So by the time the Endicotts find out about it, the nurses are already well into their lease. And the Endicottes like, we want our land back. They take it to court. The court says, well, the nurses are already there. They've been doing a good job. It's theirs. And they're like, but that's not right. Because the law would have said that when Governor Endicott's son died, that land would have bumped to another Endicott. The wife giving it to her new husband was illegal because women don't hold ties to land. But for some reason, it worked out. And so you have the nurses and Endicott's fighting over this for quite some time. And so the nurses are cutting down wood and the Endicott boys come over and chuck the wood off the cart and the nurse boys stick it back on and Endicott boys chuck it. And it's literally, it's back and forth in the woods that gets brought up in court. It gets so bad at one point that when Zerubbabel Endicott dies, he wills the land to his children. And the court's like, this is ridiculous. It's not yours. Zerubbabel Endicott's house was torn down and turned into our barn in the 80s. At some point, you know, it's like maybe he's happy that his house is finally on his property or maybe he's really mad about it. But it's kind of a a fun story because he was so adamant about getting the property only to have his house be torn down and turned into a shopping plaza. But at least now part of his house is here as our barn.
0: That land dispute never came up in Rebecca's trial, but a fight about pigs did.
1: Prior to the witch trials, Rebecca Nurse had a run-in with her neighbor over a dispute about pigs. The pigs had gotten into her garden, so Rebecca Nurse marched over to Sarah Holton's home, had words with the husband. A few months later, he got really sick, so sick he ended up dying. So when the witch trials come out years later, Sarah Holton brings that up as physical evidence that Rebecca had cursed her husband and caused him um, death.
0: Let's talk more about this trial and how the nurse family was perceived.
1: When the accusations started coming out, Um, she was actually quite shocked. People cared so much about her, they actually came to her house um, to tell her that she'd been accused. She'd been bedridden for a little while and hadn't been attending meeting and church. And so a couple of her neighbors came by and said, hey, um, you know, have you heard about what's going on with these girls? Just to sort of test and see. And she said, yes, I've heard it's so unfortunate. I've been praying for them. And the neighbors turn around and say, you've been praying for the girls. And they're like, yeah, yeah, why? Well, they've named you. And they actually took notes on the things she said. And one of the things she says was, what sin hath God found out in me, unrepented of, that he should lay such an affliction upon me in my old age? Basically, at that point, saying, well, what have I done? You know, What, what have I done now that God is punishing me? Instead of outright saying they're lying, they're wrong, she she says that phrase, which really shows you how religious she is. You know, they ask, well, why haven't you gone and visit these girls if you were so concerned? And she's like, well, in my youth, I had experienced some sorts of strange fits, similar to what I've been hearing they've been having. And I was afraid to go because if I went, I may suffer them again. Because it was common at the time for older people to go and visit and pray with people that were having afflictions. And Rebecca Nurse specifically didn't go because she had experienced something similar, she said, in her youth and was afraid to go, especially being so old and feeble as she was. But they took that as looking a little guilty of her not to go and visit these young girls that were accusing her. This got me thinking how complicated
0: it would be to follow such strict social norms.
1: Yeah, and especially when you think some of the earliest cases of people being accused are the outcasts, the people that aren't doing the right thing. And here you have Rebecca Nurse who, in all, you know, for all intents and purposes, is doing the right thing. She's going to church, you know, she's she's saying all the right things. Catherine mentioned outcasts.
0: And I think it's interesting to look at the first three accused of witchcraft. Tichuba was an enslaved woman believed to be from Barbados, where her owner, Reverend Samuel Paris, had a sugar plantation. Tichuba and her husband, John Indian, were both people of color. It was Samuel Paris's daughter, 9 years old, and niece, 11 years old, who would accuse Tichuba, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne of causing their erratic behavior and convulsions. Sarah Good had come from a successful family. But after her father's suicide, his wealth was split between his two sons and widow. Sarah was left with no dowry. After her first husband died, she remarried. She had no home and asked for charity. When people refused, she would talk under her breath. Sarah Osborne was not poor, but she was dealing with a long-term illness and had not been to church for three years. There were rumors that her second husband was abusive. During her trial, she never confessed and never accused others. In court, John Hawthorne questioned Sarah Osborne. Sarah Good saith that it was you that hurt the children. She replied, I do not know that the devil goes about in my likeness to do any hurt. Rebecca Nurse was first mentioned by 12-year-old Annie Putnam. Annie had seen a pale old woman sitting in her grandmother's chair. She described what she looked like and thought she remembered where she sat at church. Her mother and the maid suggested names. She agreed when they said, Rebecca Nurse. Unlike other accused people, Rebecca had a supportive family and a community that was willing to back her up.
1: Forty of her neighbors signed a petition to claim her innocent, saying that they trust wholeheartedly that she's innocent. So they put their name on a document, um which could easily have turned on them because if Rebecca Nurse got convicted, which she did, they could have turned that document around and said, well, you know, you guys signed this and she's a witch, so you guys are guilty as well. So people were sticking their neck out on the line for her. It's kind of crazy to think that after all that, she was still convicted.
0: And the chaos of her trial helps explain why this woman would still end up convicted. Here's an excerpt from Marilyn Roach's The Salem Witch Trials, sourced from original documentation. "'Oh, Lord, help me,' Rebecca Nurse implored, spreading her hands as she spoke. The afflicted flinched and moaned as their pains matched the motions of her hands. "'Do you not see what a solemn condition these are in?' asked Hawthorne. "'When your hands are loose, the persons are afflicted.' Two of the older girls, Mary Walcott and Elizabeth Hubbard, cried that Nurse's specter was hurting them. It never had before." And Mary raised her arm to show the crescent of a fresh bite. Here are two grown persons now, accuse you, said Hawthorne. What say you? The Lord knows I have not hurt them, she protested. I am an innocent person. She was an innocent person, but she was still found guilty. And the long trial meant more discomfort for her.
1: Rebecca Nurse was first brought in in March and she's not executed till July. So she basically was pulled from her bed in March to be taken uh, to jail. And then she doesn't see, you know, she's back and forth between trials and, and jail, but she's back out again in July only to be executed. So it's, it's quite a bit of time for a bedridden, sickly woman to be in jail in the winter, um, carted back and forth either to Boston or Ipswich jails. And Boston's 17 miles from here. And the fact that these people survived being carted back and forth in the winter and then survived the harsh jails only to be executed is just so tragic. Sarah Osborne, one of the first three to be accused,
0: didn't survive those conditions and died in jail at 49. We're now gonna talk about Rebecca Nurse's execution day and what spectators saw.
1: They just said that they, they watched the carts and they watched the prisoners be carted up to the gallows area and Rebecca appeared to be praying the entire time. On the day Rebecca's executed, they do talk about carrying her up a ladder and then tossing her off the ladder um, to be hanged by the tree. Bodies of witches
0: were not supposed to be buried, and they were left there. We're going to talk a bit more about the theories of Rebecca Nurse's final resting place. But first, I want to tell you about her sisters. Rebecca Nurse's sisters, Mary Eastie and Sarah Cloyce, had also been accused of witchcraft. And after their sister's execution, they had petitioned the court with three requests. One being that they should not be condemned of witchcraft without other concurrent legal evidence. Their petition was not met, and Mary Eastie was found guilty. But before her execution, she wrote to the governor and court, "'Knowing my own innocency,' and seeing plainly the wiles and subtlety of my accusers. I cannot but judge charitably of others that are going the same way of myself if the Lord steps not mightily in. I petition not for my own life, for I know I must die, but that if it be possible, no more innocent blood may be shed. After September, the month Mary Eastie wrote her petition and was executed, there was a change to the court's where they no longer accepted spectral
1: evidence. And they decide that spectral evidence should not be used in court anymore. And that was one of the main pieces of evidence that they were using in the courts, is that my specter or ghost would be attacking someone, but only the person being attacked could see them. And it was their word against the accused. So it's very, you know, when they're like, let's remove this, and now they have no real evidence to hold people other than hearsay, they start to realize that some of the people they were using for real evidence were not really good witnesses to begin with, and they're like, let's end it. But unfortunately, at that point, they'd killed 20 people. And many of these
0: people would not receive pardons for centuries. But Rebecca Nurse, whose family still lived in her home, was one of the first.
1: Rebecca's family went to the courts in the 1720s to get pardons, but some of the people weren't even pardoned until 2001, And they've just recently found somebody that was never pardoned at all. And there was a school of kids that found it and they're trying to pardon that one person. We're gonna look at one last place on this property,
0: but first I wanna talk about another family whose life is interwoven with this home.
1: So my dad started reenacting when he was 16 and um, he was part of a group called the Damerson Alarmus Company and they were formed right after the bicentennial of the uh, American Revolution. And they heard about this house being put up for sale Uh, The organization that owned it was the Society for the Preservation of New England Antiquities, or now Historic New England, and they were offloading a bunch of their properties that they didn't want or couldn't maintain, and so we were given stewardship for a couple years, and if we proved our worth, we could buy it. And so they purchased the property, and my dad is now the facilities manager here, so he manages all the the alarm system and making sure everything is, is going good. I needed a job at 14, and he's like, I have a perfect job for you, and dropped me off here and said, you're going to give tours. And it was not what I planned to do with my life, but now I've gone to school for museum studies and history, and my full-time job is I work in Salem, I work for Essex Heritage. It's literally part of my life now. And then I became the curator and president. My first job was here, and now I continue to volunteer my time to to share the history because it's just so much part of who I am.
0: I go to a lot of historic houses that are connected to bigger organizations, but it's nice to see a place that's as connected to family as it was when Rebecca lived here. We're now heading down a slight hill, west of the house and barns.
1: The cemetery is at the back of the property. It's a family cemetery, and then to the right of us would have been the Uh, the Cranebrook River, which has since dried up.
0: There was a family story that passed through the generations, that after Rebecca Nurse was hanged, her family took her body and brought her along the North River, which connected to the Crane Brook that lined the back of the property. She was said to be buried here in this grove of trees. Both Rebecca's husband and later her son requested to be buried in this specific location even though her life didn't end as peacefully as she deserved, it's nice to hope that she's here with her family, who worked so hard to clear her name. Thank you to Katherine Rakowski for the amazing tour, and to all the volunteers at the Rebecca Nurse Homestead. If you're interested in visiting the house, check their website for hours. If you want to read more about the Salem Witch Trials, I'd highly recommend Marilyn Roach's The Salem Witch Trials and Emerson Baker's A Storm of Witchcraft, which were both key to researching this episode. If you'd like to discuss this episode with other listeners and me, leave a comment on someonelivedhere.com slash Rebecca Nurse. Thank you to Tim Cahill for our music, and everyone who's left a review. If you haven't yet, I'd love to read your thoughts. You can follow us on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. The links to that is at the bottom of someonelivedhere.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Kendra Gaylord, and this with someone lived here.